Today we are joined by my dad, Darren Wilson, to discuss the song The Pretender by Jackson Brown. I love my dad. I'm very grateful to have him. I don't take it for granted that I have the relationship that I have with him. And sitting down to discuss music, I couldn't think of a better thing I would want to do. Morning, gentlemen. Hey, what's up? <laughs> Good morning, Mike. Darren, I'd like you to take a look at this man sitting across from you. Is that your son? <laughs> yes, it is. It's one of them. So if we did some tests, that would conclude that Brandon is your son? I don't know that there'd be any denying it, but... No, I think you could see it in our big round heads <laughs> <laughs> that I came from him. And my and my other siblings. Yeah. All right, so we've got that established. Welcome, welcome, Darren. Thank you, thank you. This is a privilege. I've been looking forward to it for a long time, as you should. Well, I guess we probably should just kind of. Wh- why did you want to? Why did you want to do this? Well, you invited me, and I rarely pass up an opportunity to to talk into a microphone. I like to hear the sound of my own voice, as anybody will tell you. Um, no, I, 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 the whole idea really intrigued me. And um, uh, music is such a, it's been such a huge part of my life. And I've devoted, I feel like, a lot of time trying to understand it better and um, apply it uh, to things not just it, it music isn't a background for me it's a you know launching pad i really enjoy breaking down the whole idea intrigued me and um and then when you actually invited me and, and asked me to pick songs i was careful i wanted to pick a song that um uh moved me spiritually and uh and this one certainly does and and that's why I picked this one. And um, plus, I think it can be a, a vehicle to uh, um, just kind of archive where you're at in uh, a stage of your life. And um, and this one, I've I've marked time with this song. And and so uh, there's been a lot of songs that. Um, I used to, as a teenager, listen to in my basement and or in my room, and um, this wasn't one of them. But uh, this one marks time for me. So. Well, my earliest memories of music, both hearing music live and and watching, I guess you know, watching people play it. I mean, it's it's all it all surrounds around you. I mean, my earliest, I think, my earliest memory of seeing anybody playing live is when you and Uncle Mark and Mark Karchner, boy, I don't remember how many other people were in it, played at Praise in the Park. Oh, my goodness. You remember Praise, I, in, the, I Praise re- in the Swamp? <laughs> <laughs> Doubt, out in Utah, man. Uh, yeah. I totally remember it. I remember the really goofy-looking 80s shirts. 
Oh, that my you guys goodness. wore. I've got and a picture somewhere. We have picture. Yeah, there are pictures of you guys standing in a row with your arms out and your hands like down by your knees or something, doing this nice pose. But I, I those memories are as many things as I don't really remember in life. I've got I as I think about my earliest musical memories, they are definitely you know, you play an acoustic guitar at home and you, you never pushed playing music on any of us. You did push fishing. I would say that, <laughs> <laughs> but that's not so bad, but I don't remember you ever like pushing music on, Hey, I want, I want my kids to do this. So here, take, take this. But as we got interested, all of us got our foundation, uh, you know, playing, playing chords on an acoustic guitar from you. That's interesting that you'd mention music and fishing. Can I share something real quick? One of the that's why we're here. <laughs> that's why we're here. Um, the the gentleman and his name escapes me that that wrote the uh, Franklin uh, system back in the eighties for um, organizing your life. He wrote a book um, that my boss at the time had given to me, and it was it talked about um, most people spend their time in an inverted pyramid to what is important to them. They spend a great deal of time at work, and yet most would say their family and, and hobbies are more important to them, but they spend less amount of time. He says, you have to kind of be deliberate about what it is you want to pass down to your children. He said, pick three things that you want to pass on to your children, and then make sure that you do that. And the three that I picked, I remember I had a little workbook and everything. This was when I was a really young man. I was in my probably late 20s. And, um, but I had kids. <laughs> I had kids in my late teens. Yeah. But, uh, uh, but I wrote down uh, the three things I wanted to pass on was a, a love for God, a love for music, and a love for the outdoors. And... Um, the love for music seemed to come naturally to all of you, so I didn't have to hit you over the head with that. Love for the outdoors, sometimes I had to drag you out there. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, enjoyed, I enjoyed many of our fishing trips. Yeah. I enjoyed going rabbit hunting. There were a lot of, yeah, there were a lot of things we did that, that were fun. But music, music for sure, for whatever reason gripped me the most and and like we we have ben who plays drums but i would i would look at him and say he's probably more of an outdoorsman than he's certainly more of an outdoorsman than i am but maybe amongst all the siblings maybe he kind of caught on the most well that's <clears throat> absolutely certain yeah. um that he i mean he fly fishes he ties his own flies um i taught a few of you to do that. I don't know. No, but I remember he, tying flies. Yeah, yeah he. Um, it was he, boring. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I actually. Anyway, I when you I, catch a fish yeah. on a fly that you've tied yourself using oh, hair sure. from an animal you killed yourself, you have just created the circle of life. There you go. No, I yeah. I 100 percent respect the art of that. I really do. Is I actually have some solid memories of doing that stuff. Yeah. But for a, whatever reason, it didn't grip me like music. You know. No, and that's well. That's you know, that's fine. I was never. I I appreciate that you said I I didn't force it on anybody. The the resources were there. There were always there was always a drum kit around. There were always guitars and amplifiers and microphones and you know 
at no small expense of myself to keep <laughs> uh, things and then from they break. break they and, break and get stolen and, and people then, well people would, them, people would move away. out of the house uh, and take, take them stuff. with them and, yeah. i know it was that's all right that's kind of most of being a father as your kids get old is they're just taking your stuff from just, you. <laughs> just, just taking anything. Just a bunch of people taking my stuff. <laughs> I definitely feel like that. I'll come into the kitchen every once in a while and the fridge is half open. <laughs> These people taking my stuff and just leaving the fridge open. Uh, no, no respect. No respect for it. <laughs> they don't pay the light bill. <laughs> One of these days. They're going to know what it's like. Man, I've already used that line on my kids. Oh, well, I, I'm seeing it in most of my kids. That day's come for me. I'm seeing, yeah, yeah, huh. Is, yeah, you shut that door down, don't you? <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh. God, it, it is funny. And now, yeah, I can, yeah. I will, <laughs> when I go upstairs, uh, having a two-story house, when I go upstairs... <laughs> And all the bedrooms are up there. Charlie and Brian's bedrooms almost always have the lights on. And I don't turn them off, although I'm standing right by them. I call them. I make them stop doing what they're doing, <laughs> go upstairs and turn their light off. And that's a little bit probably, you know. Yeah. Definitely a dad thing to do. Oh, my goodness. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's get into, I guess now, <laughs> specifically the pretender. <laughs> You know, it, it's funny because when I think about music that my dad likes, uh, I I think I I actually love doing this with people because I actually I, I asked uh, Sam, my brother Sam, your son, I asked him, one of my other sons with a round him, head. Hey, he, <laughs> that is unmistakably your son. The uh, I asked him what uh, <clears throat> you know when you think of me, what kind of band do you associate with me? And there, and he said, uh, he said probably Manchester Orchestra. And uh, while well, that's great, I mean, I love Manchester Orchestra. It's funny because you know my my roots, even with some of the music Sam likes, with like Pedro the Lion or Appleseed Cast, you know, it's it's kind of interesting to hear. You'll you'll always kind of know a band that that somebody would pick, I suppose. But for you, I would think Led Zeppelin, The Who, Peter Frampton. And so when you chose a few songs, all three of them that you chose that you kind of said, hey, I want to go with these, I just, I didn't, I, not only did I not expect them, but I had never heard any of them when you told me about them. So yeah. I guess I, I, I would, uh, and that's fine, because that's part of the fun of this. <laughs> so I guess why this song? That, you know, that is a great question. And um, when, you know, my, I think that the first artist I probably really fell in love with was Jim Croce. Um, he actually he died when I uh, the fall that I was I was eleven years old, and just because of the I'd heard a few of his songs on the radio, but um, I'd gotten a, an acoustic guitar for my tenth birthday, and I bought his album and songbook ended up having his three of his albums and three of his songbooks. There's something so incredibly awesome about making a noise on the guitar that sounds just like the noise on the album. <laughs> and, you know, when you're 11 and 12, and that was yeah. that is what hooked me. And um, I always loved that type of mellow ballad, tell a story kind of thing. Unfortunately, it's been hijacked by country music which i don't really care for 
But um, and then of course as I got older, uh, nuanced into rock, and when you get an electric guitar, now you want to sound like the now you want to sound like Pete Townsend and Peter Frampton and Jimmy Page. So it's different. Now you're making the noises on those records, and you're 14, and and everything's different. Um, I I was 14 when this album came out, so I had pretty much zero appreciation for the lyrical content of The Pretender. It's really for someone who's older. And um, I don't remember, as a young man, hearing this song. First time I remember hearing it, really. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it's not really... Um, it was in... There was a minute and a half of it uh, in the movie Mr. Holland's Opus. That movie came out in 1995, and actually... Um, uh, your mom my uh, was a deaf ed teacher, and we went to a showing of it in a theater in Madison where they had, it was by invitation of deaf people. There's a, a prominent character who's deaf in the movie, and, um, and so there were subtitles and stuff. And they played this montage, and I won't get it. If you haven't seen the movie, it's you should. It's a good movie, but they use it to pat to like fast forward over ten years, and they're showing history in the background. But it's it, the, roughly the story is about a man who ends up starting off thinking he's gonna he's been a concert pianist and he's writing a symphony, and he decides to become a school teacher when he gets married to kind of have more time at home and whatever and then that just ends up turning into his whole life as a school teacher and the pretender has a role in that as a place in that you can you know if we listen to the song i don't think i associated it with jackson brown at the time but i heard it in the movie and i remember being appealing and then in about probably 2002 or 2003 i saw the movie again at home i don't i can't remember whether i had a dvd or whatever from Netflix back when they sent you a DVD. Yeah. But um, whether it was on cable or whatever, I saw it again. And then we were downloading a lot of songs on LimeWare. Remember back then? <laughs> the cops are coming back. <laughs> I, I, I didn't personally download anything. <laughs> but, uh, um, <laughs> I, think, uh, I think that was that was the legacy Tony left with us. Wasn't it? That's what he contributed it, 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 to he, our family. He, he, I remember it was stock when he set up my computer. Yeah. Anyway. Dude, uh, I, I got to say, I remember, because uh, that is something that Tony... Uh, Early in life, kind of um, fancied himself. Yeah, but it, but it, it also it also kind of it also kind of gripped me. He, we we built he built computers, and so yeah. he helped me build my first computer. And I remember back then it was a uh, it had a forty gigabyte hard drive. And he's like, dude, this is the this is one of the biggest hard drives they make. He's like, you're never going to need more than this because I mean you could store a bunch of documents on it. People didn't save save music and movies much. And then yeah, he he uh, I forgot about LimeWire. That's funny. The first time we had a 20 megabyte hard drive in our office and you could have a color monitor, we were all excited. Yeah. I had 512K. <laughs> this is sticks and stones to your bronze. So anyway. Yeah, um, keep, keep going. I was derailing. So I, uh, I, watched this, I watched the movie. I saw the movie again and then I was like, I decided to pursue that. Song, so I downloaded it on LimeWire and um, dissected it. Probably, um, 
I don't know what other investigation I did. But I remember when I'd hear it, it just, there, there was a part that just hit you um, in your spirit. It, it's in, and, um, uh, and I, I think when I was a younger man, I used to uh, try to figure out how that person did that, whether you were reading a, a book or whether there's something. Why does that resonate with me? And now, uh, as I've gotten older, I realize I shouldn't worry so much about the artist or the author or whatever, why, but I should try to f find out inside of me why that's resonating. That's a whole different journey, and it's way more fruitful because who gives two rips why Jackson Brown said what he said? Why do I feel like I feel when I hear it? That's what's important. And, um, and that started that, and it was actually, I'm not going to say instrumental, but it was helpful in me getting out of the religion because I was... I, 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 was finding um, God in places that he shouldn't be, according to the religion. Um, and this became just such a wonderful part of my quest to find, um, you know, to just break that box open. And um, so that was really my, kind of my first experience. Why does this mean so much to me? Why is this hitting me like it's hitting me? And um, the, the great thing I think about this song, in my opinion, is uh, it doesn't answer a lot, but it asks a lot of questions. That really, um, you know, sometimes the the pursuit of truth isn't finding an answer. It's just being satisfied that you've asked the right questions and whether you get an answer or not. And, um, this one does that. The pretender is such an interesting character in this, you know, and I want, I know Mike's been quiet, but, uh, he's the character expert here. Have you, have you thought about the pretender as a character in this? Yeah, I'm really excited that you said all that because I was wondering when I was listening to it and like, you know, analyzing it, it was in the back of my mind. I wonder where Darren's at with all this. You just brought up a, a bunch of great things. Um, one That's of those why things. That's <laughs> why I'm here. It's to say wonderful things. Um, I think like high value art. And when I say like high value, obviously not like with an economic currency, but with a spiritual currency, if that's even, hopefully you know what I mean by that. High value as in it's, it's valuable to us when we consume it. You know, that's what I heard when you said that. This is of value to you when you consume it. And I think when art is of a high value to me, it's, it's, it's adding dimension and shape to a conversation that has been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years. And I think when those conversations try to get, you know, summated or, or solved is, is kind of when it cheapens it, you know? So for an artist to come in and to add to a conversation that's already been going on for such a long period of time. So Jackson Brown, you know, explores the concept of 
um, you know, uh, perhaps not broken, but um, dreams that once were had that are now gone, or the evolution of expectation, what you thought and then what is now, you know, the, the, daily, um, the daily grind of waking up, working a job, doing whatever it is that you do, going to sleep, waking up and doing it over again. I mean, these are very basic concepts, right? So for an artist to come in and to add to that conversation and do it in an intriguing way that has spiritual value is already a task in itself. And so to do it in a way that doesn't cheapen it, but rather expands the conversation, for me, there has to be this, these hinging themes, right? You can't just bifurcate something. Well, this is what's good and this is what's bad about it. And I think one thing that really intrigued me about this song that I discovered you know, after listening to it a couple times and meditating on the lyrics is I think Jackson Brown is finding a holiness in both of what it's like if certain dreams have passed you by, right? Um, or what it's like to chase those dreams, you know? And it, I, I think that's really hard to do, but it's really important to do because we don't want to we don't want to pigeonhole someone with saying like, oh, this is who you need to be or this is who you're not, so you just need to accept this. Um, it's like, where are you? Are, are, is there a bit of a pretender in you? And, and I think there is in all of us. I think that's one thing he's saying, so we'll, we'll go from there. But, I, I agree with all of that. That's, that's awesome. You know, that as many times as I've heard the song, and obviously you haven't heard it as many, and certainly not over a length of time. But um, no, that's, I think you're, you're right on in a lot of that. Um, the pretender normally, I think, would, would have just a derogatory connotation to it. You got your contenders and you got your pretenders, and it's just automatically you, you assume that the pretender is lacking. And, um, um, but this one, it, it, his the character he brings out, and to name him the the pretender, is is really brilliant because you, 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 instantly he's flawed, instantly he's flawed, and yet um, he's undeniably a part of all of us. And so instead of adding to the problem and pretending you don't have a side that's a pretender. It's way better to give it a nod and uh um and apply some grace and move forward with it uh, with the exploration it um, it liberates you to explore to say um well first of all we're busting a few myths i think that you know he he's this idea of true love is uh um is is kind of a strange concept, and when you feel like you've missed that, you really feel like you've missed whatever you were supposed to find in life. And um, uh, I remember uh, in the church they told us there were three Greek words that meant love. Remember that? I don't know if you remember that. Eros, which is the erotic kind of love that uh, two people would, you know the sexual connotation to it. Uh, philia or something that Philadelphia comes from, brotherly love. Like, I'm assuming the love that you two share 
know, unless you got secrets. But um, and then everybody has secrets. Agape, <laughs> agape love, that which they say is from God and is unconditional, but they're vague about the definition of it. Um, but if you do some research, the Greek had had at least eight words for love, and um. It, that doesn't mean we don't understand the concept of it. There's a love that comes, you know, in a family. There's a love that a couple can have later in life after they've made a life for themselves and they've they depend on each other in in practical ways, but not necessarily small ways. And um, that doesn't mean that they've lost the arrows, but it becomes less important as you get older to. I mean, the when they say our, our love grows, it changes and it becomes something different, and there isn't a proper English word for it. And um, so it's kind of helpful to just think of it that way instead of just this love, true love, take it or leave it, get it or lose it, and 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 that's not the case. And and um, so I don't know whether Jackson Brown's making an error there or whether he's just exposing the error of that pursuit. Um, but he was in a strange place when he wrote this. I, I, I had to do some research on this, but, uh, um, he was married and touring from his last album while they were writing this album. And his wife was actually on the tour, played some keyboard and sang background. And then she committed suicide right before this album, uh, was released. He had already written The Pretender. There's another song on that album that he wrote after she'd passed, but there, but um, he had already written The Pretender. So this wasn't a song about losing love. This is, for him, it was a song about being in a relationship with someone who was really sad. And I think that's one of the reasons he said, I want to find a girl who can show me what laughter means. It was almost like, okay, I've given up on this idea that I'm ever going to find true love. So now I just want to, I want to laugh. I want to have fun. I want to put my dark glasses on and make love until our strength is gone. If I can't find this true love out there, I'm going to just immerse myself in the sexual love that I have, that I can find. And, um, and if I can't rise above the ideals of the commercialism, I'm just going to earn and spend. I'm just going to grab what I can. And then when I get to the end of it, you know, you say, are you there too? I'm, this is where I'm at. Are you there? Say a prayer for the pretender who started off so young and strong only to surrender. And, um, it's got a sadness to it, but it's got a realism to it too. Because the goal was never really attainable. And I'm not saying that true love doesn't exist. I'm just saying it's not the end. Love is love. Really, is the pursuit of everyone, whether you admit it or not. We all want some level of love, whether you want to get it, in a, you know, through God or through friendships or through your work or career, whatever it is. That's that's the longing, you know, and um, and that to me is overtaken any other kind of spiritual pursuit. The ultimate spiritual pursuit is for love, loving yourself, loving others, and um, being comfortable with yourself, being comfortable in your own skin, surrounding yourself with people that share those kind of special big things. So, um, you know, I, <clears throat> it's, it's interesting listening to you both 
talk about this, and I, I did, I did a little bit of research. I try to on each of these songs just do the bare minimum, I guess, of research on a band if I don't really know much about them. But I didn't get into, you know, why he wrote the song. Every once in a while when you search the lyrics, they'll have this, like, lyric meaning and you have people that kind of talk about it and whatever. It's funny, I actually, I've, I've avoided those for the most part on, on almost, even in the past before even deciding to do this podcast, I don't really look into it because as you kind of spoke to it earlier, what it means to me and not necessarily the artist. I can't say that every song I've never looked up a meaning from a, from an artist or anything, but it really does end up being more about what your interpretation is and why is it speaking to you? I love how you put that before because that's, while I maybe haven't put that into words, I know I feel that. And so that, that's actually, that's actually a, a good word, what you shared earlier. And this one you know, he really does a great job of kind of, um, at the beginning, he depicts, you know, the, the normal, kind of the normal dad life. You get up early, you pack your lunch, you go to work, you do your nine to five, you, you know, you come back home and, and you dinner with the family, put the kids to bed go to bed, and then you get up and do it again, right? So he does a good job of kind of uh, depicting the, the mundane, but also the committed, because there's a commitment that you have, both as a father or a husband, as you would in any relationship. There's a commitment to that in, in effort to, uh, it's really twofold for me, there's a commitment to that in life, one, to provide a, a good home and, and shelter and love for the family that you're building and for what, what you're, um, what you're creating in life. But then there's also this, this gratitude that can come with living that way in that you have the ability to live that way. And I think that gets lost in some people that as they've, you know, gained a job and, and they can make it a career, they can have a family. Um, there's a, there's a piece inside of all of us that wants a little bit of what we don't have. Right. So we, we so sometimes like at work, the, the job I do isn't very physically demanding, but it's very, very mentally demanding. And so often I'll come home from work and just be f mentally drained and I'll, and I'll not, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's just part of the deal. And so every once in a while, there's this feeling inside of me that's just like, dude, I just want to work in landscaping, just totally be able to shut my brain off and just lay some bricks you know what I mean? There's, there's just, 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 just garden, whatever. Something that's physically demanding that just allows your brain to release. But I would go insane if I had a job like that. I would absolutely go insane if I had like a factory job or I, I've done landscaping before. And I would go insane if I did that for a living. I, much, I would much prefer to be mentally exhausted. But we all crave a little bit of what we don't have in the moment when it seems like there's a weight to it that's that's too much at times and so the mundane life of a dad can can often be perceived as well one did you give up on something i i guess you could have possibly but but two well, it, you did trade your sports car in for a minivan so. yeah there you go yeah I, did. <laughs> I traded i traded yeah i did trade a mini cooper in for a ford fusion which is the most dad car you can get for a job so 
he's describing my life to a T here. I, I, for the record, I drive a Ford Fusion. I am not a dad, but I'm ready. (laughs) It's yeah, (laughs) it's an incredibly practical car. But that, but what what he does a good job is in the beginning he kind of paints the life of, uh, and maybe this doesn't go along so much as I'm listening to you two, but I want to, I want to, I guess, kind of put out through my lens what what I saw. There's a little bit of a of a battle between. Do you pick the life that is, you know, kids, wife, career, home, two cars in the driveway, whatever, you know, if, if you're going to, if you're going <clears> to <throat> put out like a prototypical, this is, this is what it could be, right? So that, or then there's another side, the later half of the song where he's more of or do I pick a path of finding a career that I can make a lot of money, not spend hardly any time with the kids, not be home at all, build this big, massive thing. Like he says, uh, you know, be a happy idiot and struggle for the legal tender. Um, and, and even in that where he's talking about, you know, kind of leaving that going with the girl that's more in a sexual relationship, stacking up loads of cash buying nice and fancy things and all of this stuff and, and, and chase that. And which one, which, which one do I choose that would fill whatever hole you're trying to fill? And I think that that's at the end. Both of those are pretenders. They're both chasing a hole to fill. Or they're both, there's, there's, I'm sorry, both of them have a hole that's not filled within them. And I felt like this song did a good job of, you know, neither one of those paths are going to fulfill that hole. And if you're in that lane of mundane nine to five wife and kids, boring life, you're kind of thinking, well, shoot, man, should I go and, should I go and try to make boatloads of cash and, you know, not spend as, not spend as much time. You're you're trying to fill something that that other life isn't going to fill. Those people have the same struggles and the same problems. And, and I don't, I'm not here to say, I think we got the answer here, guys. But um, I settled in my mind uh, uh, years ago that, you know, the pull for me at least is um, uh, really it came down to being creative and artistic specifically through music. And so when you kind of find that some of that normal day-to-day can maybe be a little mundane or you're trying to understand and, and, and discover within yourself, what am I actually trying to fill? Why am I desiring maybe the opposite of what I have? Because there's no, there's in no way, just like you would, right? There's no way that you'd say, yeah, dude, I'm going to abandon all my kids and I'm just going to go chase this thing and just, and just give up on this stuff. The, 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 the wife and kids that I have are the best thing that's happened to my life. It's grounded me as a human being. It's, it's, uh, I, it, it's so much fun. There's things you discover every day that your kids do that you're like, how am I going to handle this as a father? You know, it's, it's, it's a totally different kind of thing that I think makes it, it makes it very fun, makes every day very different. But y- you can't say as a, as, a, as a dad, you know, I, 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 was listening to, I was listening to this song and... Deacon Blues, the other song that you brought up, and both of them kind of brought up this thing in me that I was like, I was listening, and I'm like, you know, I've talked with my dad a lot. We've shared many, many things. In fact, when you and I went through 
leaving organized religion, we went through it together. We had this amazing drive home from work. It was it was really one of one of the strangest, most beautiful things that that we had. We were each on the same path and didn't even know it. No, and it was something we were kind of. You're almost kind of keeping a secret from yourself. It's not something you really want to talk to anybody about because you're it's you're, it's almost like a betrayal. Oh yeah. But we were, and it was, it was this credible thing. My car broke down in Baraboo, and Brandon was traveling for work. And when I called him, he would said he could come pick me up and bring me home. And we had this 90-minute talk, and it was crazy. We both were on the exact same page. This, we've got to, we've got to get out of here. Got to, we got to, and it was, it was really wonderful because it was a confirmation. I move so slow on things. If you, knew, I mean, I make big decisions. I take forever to make, and um, you do. I do. That wasn't a question. That was a statement. You do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very deliberate and analytical. Other things, I'm pretty whimsical about. But um, I was not whimsical about this. I knew it was going to affect my family. I knew it was going to affect so much, and it was so hard to do. And, um, but we did it. We did. And, and <laughs> I, I use that as a, uh, we could probably talk for an hour just on that experience alone we could. Uh, more for sure, because it, it really, that began the foundation of many years of, of self-discovery for me. And, um, you know, as a young kid talking to your dad about, questioning your faith or and not it wasn't even so much about questioning faith i guess at that time it was about removing ourselves from organized religion which was my life at the time you know i was i was going to church three to four days a week it was uh, way more of my life than i care to admit to it yeah it was it was so it was it was kind of a um there was a level of anxiety in talking about that for sure that was that was very tough but i i would say to have my to have my father as somebody that i could go through that with uh, i mean how fortunate am I to be able to to express that love? I mean, it 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 <clears throat> in a way it would be like a a son that you know is is discovering his own sexuality and would have to go to his his parents to talk to them about you know being homosexual or something like to be able to have parents that would understand you, love you through that, have no difference of opinion on you. That's that's great because many people don't have that experience. And so for me to be able to have a dad that I could talk to about this and you're kind of going through the same thing and go through it, I don't take that for granted. That was that was pretty amazing. You, you know, our um our spirituality's always been tied together. My my first notch of spirituality came the day you were born, which is a story we probably shouldn't tell on our pretender broadcast, but um uh, so we've always kind of been linked that way. Uh, um, we share a strange mind. All of my children, I have an, I have a, uh, well, obviously a deep love for all of my children, but I connect with each of them in different ways on different levels. And Brennan and I have always been um, a pretty deep uh, spiritual level, largely because of this journey that he's describing now. And then it began with Brennan. So, um, on that note, there's an important, um, one of the reasons I think um, 
this hit me at a spiritual level is I, I uh, um, the first time they bring up, the, the two times they bring up the pretender, he only mentions the pretender twice. And the structure of this song is interesting too. There's three clear verses and three clear refrains. They're not really choruses, but they're refrains, I guess. The rest of it's kind of a hodgepodge of bridges. But um, uh, the first time he mentions the pretender, everything dies down musically except for this um, run of a bass kind of exploring high notes. And he says, in the cool of the evening strolls the pretender. He knows that all his hopes and dreams begin and end there. And, um, you know, in the, in the garden, if I could quote Genesis for a bit, in the garden prior to the fall, uh, it's said that God walked with Adam. They walked together in the cool of the evening. And I, I, I don't, don't take all of that literally now, but I know that when he says all of my hopes and dreams begin and end there, for me it was like this awareness of God inside yourself is where everything begins and ends. And um, adding the pretender to that is brilliant because there there has to be a protagonist, uh, protagonist in there to, to say, to separate the wheat from the chaff. What What is this? Where am I being honest with myself? Where am I pretending? And it's it's such a necessary element. You're like, you know, grace is so such a beautiful thing. I've heard you in your past podcast talking about grace and extending grace to people. You can't even extend grace to people unless they screw it up somehow. And and so it has to be in action. Um, I, I officiated two weddings this summer, which is not something I normally do, but I, I, I was asked by um, a couple of people, and, and I don't get a lot of chance to talk, and most of the time they don't want any kind of religion at all in it, which I'm totally fine with. But what I tell them is that um, uh, love is such a powerful force. And as much life as I've lived and love that I've experienced, it's still a mystery in a great many ways. But a couple things I know for sure about love. It can't exist if there isn't free will. You can't receive love from somebody unless they're free not to love you. Um, it, it, there has to be free will. And I also know as humans, we have mixed results with free will. <laughs> so, uh, we, you know, chances are half the time we screw it up. So, there has to be forgiveness. There has to be, love can't exist without forgiveness. In fact, the more you give love, you don't end up with less, you end up with more. But the only place that uh, love can't grow or thrive is in a is in a uh, environment of unforgiveness that's where your love will die so it's it hinges on this so if you've got um this just this wonderful important thing that really we're all striving for and it all hinges on free will and forgiveness and um those i'm telling you those virtues are worth defending. And um, both of them, liberty and forgiveness, are worth defending their noble causes because that's the essence of love. So 
in exercising love, there almost has to be a chance to screw up so that you can extend that forgiveness. That's, that's really where it flowers, you know? So when you're, when you're bouncing these ideas around in your head, and, um, and again, I, my quest for God has become completely internal. The way I find God now is to find out more about myself because he lives in me and I have to find, I, me finding God in you is going to do me no good. You need to do that, you know, so I find him in myself and, and so I need to find more about myself. Uh, do I want to root out the pretender or do I use that as a, a, as a vehicle to say, you know, I've, I've been wrong about this, but I can forgive myself and move on. And that perpetuates the love. The, the, you know, uh, it's the grain of sand that makes the pearl. And, 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 um, so when you're looking at this pretender as if it's, uh, he's the bad guy, he's not, he's there to kind of reveal things. And, and, and he's just, he's, He's asking questions that we should be satisfied not to get an answer on. Let's just ask the question. So when it comes to forgiveness, for me, when it comes to this song, I think uh, to place it historically in the 70s, I believe it was released in 76, mm -hmm. A lot of art that I've consumed from the 60s and 70s are responding or reacting to a lot of the hyper-consumerism that came after World War II, right? And with that hyper-consumerism came advertisement. And advertisement was having a social impact in ways it clearly never had because it had the reach of media. You know, it was beyond radio now. It was television and and many, many, many more signs. And, and when you get spoken advertisement, when you get visual advertisement, right, you get tropes and you get stereotypes. And I think a natural reaction to some of that is going to be like an intolerance, right, which I think we find in a lot of art that was created in that era, you know. But then also you have to, I think a lot of what we do in art is intended to be an adjustment or an adaptation, right, to art that came before us. And I, I wouldn't want to use the word correction because that's, you know, draws lines. But I think some of this song is an adaptation to an intolerance um, towards hyper-consumerism, you know. And, and I say that in a way that is, there is an element of forgiveness and empathy there, right? There's an element of, of okay, we, we've been, we've been, you know, rebelling or criticizing this trope of, you know, guy, wake, you know, guy, girl, person, right? This applies to anyone, right? It just so happens to have, you know, the male pronoun just because that was Jackson Brown was using and, and, and probably singing to himself a bit. I, I, I found in interviews a, a little bit, but <clears throat> there was this empathy rather than intolerance towards waking up, grinding out, what have you. But I think What's accomplished is both a critique and an, uh, an empathetic display of a paycheck-to-paycheck uh, -paycheck life. And a lot of art, if we look at it, is 
a commentary on the working class. You know what I mean? It's kind of funny because you have a lot of artists and you have this glamorous lifestyle or depiction of artists, you know, going off and getting to live whatever life they want to live. But a lot of artists that I enjoy and that I'm assuming both of you enjoy take their voice and their platform as a privilege and a responsibility, right? To have a voice for the voiceless. And I think, I think the pretender, this, this, this person that uh, Jackson Brown is singing about is someone whose voice is perhaps distorted, right? Um, and, and, and um, common interpretations. And so I think <clears throat> for me to get a little granular, we've already talked about how a complex character was, was created, right? And you need a complex character because you can't just say, oh, this is a critique or this is a, you know, an advocacy of this person. You don't really, it's kind of both and it kind of needs to be both. And if it's flat, like we, we're obviously ruminating over this because that's what art, you know, uh, triggers, good art triggers, you know, we don't, and it's funny when you say this style of music has been kind of a, uh, adopted by country music. I think this kind of ballad and this kind of commentary, like this, uh, you know, story, commentary, and songs has kind of been used to pander. And it's kind of funny because this song is a response to the pandering. You know, this song is a response to 60s and 70s art, you know, um, making fun of the pandering of like, white flight suburbia advertisement you know what i mean like uh invest your money buy this do that and and you also brought up the element or i think brandon did of privilege so i think this song is also much of what we talk about we're able to talk about because we're privileged and that i don't use that as a pejorative term it is a privilege to be able to discuss and, and dissect these kind of concepts um because if I was oppressed, I probably wouldn't give a shit about <laughs> how I'm living my life. We, we, we should have. You, you don't have. Had, you don't have the option to, right, to be right, concerned right. over that. So, so I, I think that's that's a, that's I think one of the biggest points about this, and and I don't think maybe he intended this, maybe not, is the 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 freedom in having the ability to wake up and and do this. Um, do this thing that we call life, there's, there's almost this element of when is it enough? You know what I mean? If you are able to, quote unquote, find this true love, right, which seems to be an illusion in the song, um, whatever it is that you're finding, whatever job that you have, whatever your lot in life is, when is it going to be enough? You know, are you able to be a trash man, you know, and, and enjoy the cool of the evening? Or, or are you just going to uh, be completely discontented? But at the same time, that's what's beautiful about this song because I don't feel like he's saying, hey, you got this great life, just, just take it. You know, it's like, hey, are there other, are there other dreams? Are there, are there, were there things that fled you that you perhaps are longing for, you know? And what can you do about it? Yeah, I, I, <clears throat> I, had, actually, I had actually kind of started a thought and then... I'm working on it in life. I was taking a long time to make a point before, before I and then I completely you. no 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 you didn't interrupt. It was it, I had I had engaged you in what I had derailed it from, and then it just went to this. So, th to be honest with you, what I was going into because we had talked about Deacon Blues and we're going to do that song in the future as well. It actually, while the Pretender and Deacon Blues have 
very different um, uh, lyrical concepts to them. They actually both spoke to me in a very similar way when I think about my dad. And so I'll actually save a little bit of that. Um, there's my cheap cliffhanger. I'll save a little bit of what I was going to make as a point for Deacon Blues because I think it could go. I think it could go with it. But I, I do want to say that's actually kind of a bit of what I enjoyed, and maybe it's the lens I'm looking at it through. This, what, a little bit of what I enjoyed about this song is the point didn't seem to be, you know, as as you hear, I think it can be toxic in our culture to tell people. To, to just go and, and chase your chase your dream don't be satisfied until you until you get it that can be very toxic because it's not the same opportunities are not available to many people and uh, and and I, I think even in the new movie soul that came out on on Disney plus it just came out um, very recently you know my kids were watching it and there was this scene where the guy was now a, a music teacher at school, but you could tell he was a little unsatisfied. He wanted to play piano on a big stage with a famous artist. And, uh, you know, he goes and, and uh, he actually gets offered a full-time gig as a teacher when he was just doing it part-time. And then he goes and his mom, um, I forget, I, I, can't, I don't know if she was maybe doing nails or doing hair or something. He goes and visits his mom at work, and she's just like, this is it. You've got a great career option now, you know, and you get to do what you, you love in life. You get to play music, but you're teaching kids. And he was dissatisfied because he wanted to be up on the stage and get the recognition, and his mom was just like, this is fantastic. This is great. You have an opportunity. You can take it. And that kind of, the, that, that was really kind of cool to see because I see a little more eye to eye with his mom in that you've got this opportunity that many people, and especially, you, you know, you, you, I, the, the opportunities even for black people are not there. They have not been created for generation after generation like it has for some young, some young white people. And, and so there's, there's also that for, for many different races. I can't even speak to the challenge that it would be for many other races. Um, uh, to be able to have some of those opportunities. And so I, I, felt, I felt like in listening to this song, there wasn't this whole, are you going to be bored and live in this mundane life? Or are you going to go and chase this thing and, and, uh, you know, uh, and actually start feeling fulfilled? I felt like he did a good job of, there's kind of a hole either way go chase a whole bunch of money and, 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 uh, you know, all the sex you can get and whatever, or you can live a steady life with, with a solid career and kids and there's going to be a hole and how are you going to fill that hole? And we're not here to answer what you fill that with. That was just a bit of the, the imagery that, that I had with it. And, you know, I, I feel like we, we have, we have talked, um, you know, quite a bit at length of some of the spiritual concepts and some of what's going on. We haven't really talked at all about the music, which is great. I think that's kind of fun that this song kind of pulled that out of us. And, and I, I think what I would like to hear though from you, dad, is what, what are, what are your favorite musical elements within the song? Um, well, first of all, I, I actually really like the drums in this song. I think that uh, even though, um, it's it's easy to write off this uh um the the music is really just a, a vehicle for the lyrics which in a large part it is in this particular song but um uh the drummer who did this uh, uh Jeff Porcaro uh, is a incredible session musician he was part of uh, Toto for years and um he did uh um 
He played drums on uh, with Boz Skaggs on the Lido Shuffle. You should listen to that song. That, the beginning of that song is so cool, the drums. In. Anyway, okay. Jackson Brown assembled a, an incredible uh, group of, of session musicians, uh, essentially. Uh, and uh, the piano player uh, was part of... Uh, and and Jeff Porker were part of the uh, band that toured with him and with uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash and with uh, James Taylor. So um, these are top-notch musicians. Um, the um, and I got already mentioned the when whenever a, a a song pauses and the bass goes off the rails, um, I'm all about a real rock steady driving bass. Um, but when when it goes off the rails and the, the bass gets a chance to to go high and liberated. I pay attention. It, it, it and and um, he does that. I think brilliantly. The two times that he talks about the pretender in this, that that that, that is that. I I uh, I would agree with you on a on a baseline. And what's what's cool about the baseline in this song is it's very um, you know there are different there are different eras where people playing bass obviously it, it it should do that there's there's a certain there's a certain bass line that if i heard it i'm like that sounds like it would have come from the 70s and then there's a bass line oh that sounds like it would come from the 90s you know there's they do those things and and I, the bass in this song is definitely that you know that great 70s kind of tone uh um and and style of playing and it fits the song very well uh, you mean there's other styles other than seventies baseline? <laughs> <laughs> Not to you, but to the rest of us. Um, but my my favorite element, though, has to be the piano. And and why I say it's the piano is because um, without the piano in this song, it would be an entirely different song. And while I while I like the baseline, I don't feel like if the bassist was a totally different bassist and they had written a totally different baseline, I don't feel like the song um, would be very different. And so um, that, I agree with that. That the piano, though, I, I think the the pianist in this and the style that they play in really helps to make the mood of the song be what it is. Because even the guitars, even the even the guitars on this, and you know me, I'm a big guitar guy, I really feel like there could have been other guitarists that would have played other parts um, that could have done it. But the, the piano in this really drives the rhythm of the song, and it... Uh, um, it, it it helps move it along, and right from the beginning of the song, it kind of helps set the mood and set the stage of of, of the specific style that it's going to be. And it also leads a little bit into um, my nerd level detail with the piano as well. And uh, um, I like to ask Michael sometimes when I do music, when I do music references within a nerd level detail, I like to kind of ask Michael first because it helps me know he's he's very very smart. Um, on, on many things it actually what's it's funny to me that he enjoys music as much as he does not being somebody that plays music he enjoys a lot of technical things and hears a lot of things in music that people that don't play don't really notice much of but do you know what accidentals are in music michael no okay <laughs> So why they're anything but accidental? Yeah, they, they they are. You're you're correct. <laughs> Very intentional. But. So the pianist in this song, as he's moving along, um, you don't hear this style in modern music much. 
Um, it is something that's reminiscent of the 70s, 80s, at least in my mind. And anybody who knows way more about the history of piano and rock music than I do can say what they want. But in my mind, in the in the 70s and 80s, the the style of piano that this guy's playing is is kind of peppered throughout music in that in that era. And they do uh, quite a few accidentals. So accidentals would be you have certain key signatures that you're in. Um, this song on the album is in the key of G, and so you have certain notes that are within the key of G that you can play and stay within the key of G, and then there are the notes that are outside of the key. You can often use those to just kind of pepper in a little bit of, of, of musical spice. Jeez, just shoot me for saying that. <laughs> no, that was... But the, but the piano, uh, on the chords, too, what's even cool about it is, you know, every once in a while, a guitarist, when they're doing a solo, will have this accidental where they'll, they'll add a note that's not in the key signature, and it just adds this flavor to it that you're like, that's often what could make a mundane solo that's just in the key of E minor, and you're just ripping through it, and then you add this note that's not supposed to be there, and it's like, ooh, it, it adds this little taste to it, you know? And in the piano, when you do that, with guitar chords, especially in like a jazz setting, or if you don't have a lot of distortion on your guitar, you can play some cool chords that have accidentals and they just set the move and they just give you a little bit of that kind of jazzy, bluesy tone sometimes. And the piano does that um, throughout. And, and they, they uh, um, specifically, if you want to hear what I'm talking about and you want to go back in the song and reference it, at one minute and 53 seconds, and then at two minutes and three seconds are examples of where the piano does this accidental. And it, it, there are many other, there are other times within the song. I just wanted to at least pinpoint if somebody actually can't hear in their head what I mean by it. One minute, 53 seconds, and then two minutes and three seconds. It adds like these things. And, and, and hearing that, uh, um, again, I don't listen to a lot of music that has pianos with accidentals. It's a little bit of kind of a Elton John, Billy Joel. I, I was going to say it's kind got of a lot of Elton John and vibe to it. It and, does, and, yep. It, and uh, uh, I, I like that, though. I think this I think this song would not be the same without those. Well, I don't... Uh, I'm not a piano player. Um, but, the, but the pianist's name is Craig Dorge. And... Um, he has he, he's played on i mean you should if you want to thrill you should look up these musicians and do and 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 on like wikipedia or something and see all of the other artists they've played with and songs they've played on and it's just amazing jackson brown writes most of his songs on uh piano when he plays live he usually plays guitar he does play some piano live too but um he did not play piano. I'm sure he wrote this song on piano, but he didn't play it, and that's probably the reason he didn't, is he wanted a real piano player. <laughs> this guy is one. I, I don't know a yeah. lot about him, but he is one, for sure. Do you do you have a nerd-level detail, Dan? I thought I gave you some. Like oh, Jeff oh. Did, did thing with the drums in? In yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Um, the, okay. The, right. um, a funny note, and I'll only do this because you mentioned Steely Dan, but... Uh, uh, but uh, the bass was by Bob Glob. He's uh, he played with Rod Stewart and Steely Dan and Neil Diamond among others. And uh, the, I think what happened a lot in the '70s and these uh, 
these were in California studios primarily. They had these session musicians that were just incredible. That you know, Linda Ronstadt and some of these other, you know, Warren Zevon used a lot of these people. Um, background vocals on The Pretender, though, uh, David Crosby and Graham Nash doesn't get much better than that when you got, uh, and if you go on to a, um, uh, YouTube, if you want to see a great version of this song, uh, during a uh, Crosby, Stills & Nash concert later on in life, they invite Jackson Brown out and they play, he pl he does the pretender. So he plays guitar and sings the pretender and the, the, the band is the same touring band. They used the same touring band. But then you get to see Graham Nash and David Crosby singing their background parts on the pretender, you know, live. Oh, that was that's really a cool. I, I mean, how do you get any better than that? For heaven's sakes, that's some that's some background harmonies, you know. Yeah. So, um, um, I'm trying to decide if I've milked everything I want out of this song. I guess we're probably out of time, so I should. Well, I'm quits. no. I, I it would be a it would be a shame that if there's any point that you've left open that you want to close we should definitely do that M michael do you have i guess first do you have any nerd level details or favorite moments or lyrics or anything you want to go through i got a quick nerd level yeah detail <clears throat> it's interesting to me when it comes to lyrical themes one thing i've noticed with musicians that presume write their own lyrics is it's funny how often they do not use the opportunity to appeal to um, sound in the lyrics. And so Jackson Brown has a line where the sirens sing and the church bells ring and the junk man pounds his fender. Those are three different images with three different distinct sounds. And it's funny because, um, you know, sight and touch are, are often written about in lyrics. Um, and not even sometimes, right? Like lyrics can lack when you're just talking about concepts. If you have no imagery, it's, it's only gonna go so far, right? So when you use the objective correlative, which is using objects and speaking through the presentation of objects to convey emotions, right? The objective correlative. But then if you use the objective correlative and then also add other senses to it, such as sound, it can be much more you know, evincing, and, and so, I don't know, for some reason it's a, a relatively simple line, but where the sirens sing and the church bells ring and the junk man pounds his fender, that creates a very palpable um, series of, you know, like a little montage, you know, which is much of what the song is doing, and the other thing I'll say too is, when it comes to what's being written about, I always love it when artists, you know, are able to kind of channel the imagery or concepts into the sound, in the cool of the evening, I feel like that phrase is best, um, you know, channeled into the music of the song. You know, the, I don't know. The, there's something about the song where I just really feel the cool of the evening. And uh, that, that leaves a mystery to it as well, you know. But, yeah, that's my nerd level. What do you, what do you got for a life application? Brandon, I'm glad you asked. Because I got an answer ready for you. I think... Um, I think we should we should both look for ways in which we are pretending with ourselves, um, ways in which we're living with a sense of denial or dependence that we do not find dignity in, and be conscious of that and, and work on making changes. 
But I, I, I also think we should pay attention to basking in the holiness of the day, you know, regardless of whatever our lot in life is. Um, and, and I think it's, you know, like we said, that's a privileged um, thing to discuss, but privileged in, in a way that we can wear as, you know, we can wear proudly. You know, it's like when you are given responsibility, right, or an opportunity, um, you can wield it in many different ways. And if, if you take it on in a way of like, wow, like I get to wake up and enjoy the holiness of this day, whether I'm a junk man pounding a fender or what have you, um, there's a lot of beauty in that. So yeah, uh, look, at, look at yourself critically. Dad, you want to put a cap on this, man? What are your closing thoughts? Well, <laughs> actually, one of the lines that he uses that I thought he was kind of trying too hard, um, but I've kind of warmed up to it, was the um, when he says, I'm going to find myself a girl, showed me what laughter is, and he says, and we'll fill in the missing colors from each other's paint-by-number dreams. Um, I remember, <laughs> this is really strange, scene in Fight Club, when Brad Pitt's got everybody out there, and he's saying, you know, they told you you were going to be special, but you're not. You know, they told you you were going to, you know, they told us we were going to all be movie stars, but we're not, you know, and this kind of thing. It's like, it's like when you're little, you're, oh, you can, you, you're a Rembrandt. No, you're a paint by number. And you're missing a couple of colors, too. <laughs> and, and, you know, if you find somebody that can fill those in, good for you. But, you know, uh, there has to be an element of humility in, in attacking some of these problems. Um, the worst pretenders are the ones that think they're not pretenders. And so that's, you know... The first step, you know, you talk a lot about recovery in some of your past episodes, Michael. And, I, and one of the things in um, recovery, you know, to be to thine own self, be true. Everything has to run through the filter of, am I being honest with myself? You know, and if you can't find a little pretender in yourself when you're being honest with yourself, you're not being honest with yourself. It's in there, and and and. Um, don't pretend you're a Rembrandt when you're a paint by number and you need help. And don't and don't um and don't pretend like you're not pretending when you are. And and, and if it's something you need to be pretending with, go with it. That's the other thing that's like and I love that when you're talking about privilege on this, you know, about a third of the world woke up this morning wondering whether they were gonna eat or not. The thinking about whether or not I'm over-consuming, thinking about whether or not I'm over-consuming is really a privileged, lofty thought, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so um, and I'm, I'm grateful for it. And gratefulness, you talked about gratefulness so eloquently in one of your other podcasts, Michael. I could, couldn't agree more. Being, being grateful is the first step in, um, in not killing the pretender, but in satisfying it. The pretender, making the pretender part of who you are rather than something you're ashamed of or something you're, um, you need to evict from your life. Um, it's, it's the part that we, we give ourselves grace in, 
you know, extending grace to someone else is a beautiful thing, but it's even more beautiful to extend it to yourself if you need some. And extend it, you know. Um, don't try to kill the pretender. Say a prayer for the pretender, you know. I mean, that's the message of the song, you know. He started off so young and strong, only to surrender. Is surrender always a bad thing? Not always. Sometimes you just have to say, Phew, I give up. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of chasing. I'm tired of trying to be a Rembrandt, you know. And um, so anyway, it's a whole lot in that song. And um, trying to mine that in your in your own spirit is, uh, um, it, it, it's been a be- beautiful journey for me. I love, I love that song.